This week's reading for Palm Sunday comes out of Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near to Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and they found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. There's a practice that I've gone through. I find myself doing this periodically, and it's really closely related to the idea of channel surfing. Perhaps you remember this from cable days, when you're just sitting there and there's really nothing on, and you're just surfing through the channels, hoping to find something you want. In the age of streamers, we have a whole lot of options out there, but there are times that I find myself sitting in front of the TV doing the exact same thing, when I don't have a specific show that I'm already engaged with, that I'm already watching, or a movie, or anything of that nature, and I'm just trying to find something that sounds good, I'll just sit and scroll and scroll and scroll. And every once in a while when I'm doing this, I'll find some show that I've watched before and nostalgia will grab me and I'll begin watching that show again. It happens every once in a while. Now it happened actually recently and I found myself watching an old episode of The West Wing. Maybe you remember this show. If not, you should really check it out. It's a great, great show from back, I believe it was the early 2000s when it came out. So it's kind of dated, but it's a wonderful show that focuses in and around the activity, the day-to-day life, the work that goes on in the West Wing of the White House. Focuses on the president, as well as a lot of the senior staff, and then some of the people that, that work around them. It's a great show. I really enjoyed it. I think you might too. So I encourage you to check it out. There's a lot of wonderful episodes. There's a lot of wonderful scenes but I'm thinking about one in particular. And in this particular scene, there's some big fancy party that's going on at the White House and everybody's all dressed up. They're either in fancy suits or tuxes or or fancy dresses. It's everyone's having this celebration for whatever reason and everybody's just kind of milling around and, and schmoozing and kind of talking with different people. And then there's one character, one of the senior staff, who's making her way around, kind of finding some of the other major players. And she would step in and she says, excuse me, I hate to interrupt but an old friend would love to have a word with you. And with that, the individual excuses themselves from the conversation that they're currently in, and they kind of slide out out a side door and out into another room. This statement, an old friend wants to have a word with you, was code because there was a situation that was going on that required their immediate attention, but they didn't want to tip off anyone else from within the party. There's this tension that lies there. And I can only imagine that this is probably a pretty common thing for those who work at the White House. 
And maybe it's common for, for any person who finds themselves in a position of, of leadership or authority, that there are times when you are in the midst of something really good and something that you want to celebrate, and at the same time, you are aware of something detrimental that is also going on, that tension that lies within it. Now, that idea of tension lies underneath the celebration that we have for today, for Palm Sunday, and this triumphal entry, the celebration that seems to be going on around Jesus. But before we really get into that idea of tension, we got to back up just a little bit. we got to set the scene. Finally, after all this time of working his way towards Jerusalem, it's the day of arrival. And as Jesus and his merry band of followers are coming near to the city, we hear that they're coming into the area of Bethpage and Bethany. Now, these are two very small villages that are very close to the city of Jerusalem. They lie on the other side of the Kidron Valley, which is a valley that lies between two mountains. We hear that they're coming up to the Mount of Olives, which is opposite of the Temple Mount and the city with this deep valley in between it. Now, as they're coming up, to the, these, the, this area as they're coming up to these villages, Jesus grabs two of, the, of his disciples and he kind of sends them off on this strange little thing. He says, go into the village and when you get there, you're going to find a colt tied to a door. I want you to untie it and bring it here. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say the Lord needs it. And so the two guys were like, well, okay. And they go off into this, the, the, the community. And sure enough, they find the colt and they begin to untie it. And the owner's like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, the Lord needs it. And that's kind of seems to be the end of it. I sort of laugh at this, that it seems that Jesus has sent these two disciples off to commit a, a colt larceny because they never bring it back again, which is weird, but that's a side note. They bring the colt to Jesus for whatever reason is going on. And we hear that they throw their cloaks on it and they place Jesus upon it. Now, some of the other, the, the other gospels tell us it's the colt of a donkey. So he's riding a donkey. This just says colt, so we don't necessarily know. But it's a very strange way for Jesus to then make his way down through the valley, down off one mountaintop, through this valley and up in the, the other side. But folks, I've walked this road. I was in Israel a few years back. Perhaps you've heard me talk about this before. And it is a very, very steep valley. So as they're going, as this little procession is going on, it would have been moving very, very slowly. I remember going down, and it's really, really steep. You have to walk real, real careful, real gingerly. Otherwise, you're going to face plant and go tumbling on down. And so as Jesus is riding this colt and everybody else is coming along with it, we, and having this time of celebration, you can imagine they were moving pretty slow. But the other thing to remember is they were not alone. We hear that they're coming into the city for the celebration of Passover. That's what's bringing them along with everyone else. Now, this is a very important event in, in the Jewish faith and the Jewish culture at that time. And so countless people would be coming into the city. Countless people would be lining this road from one side to the other. They were definitely not alone. There were lots and lots and lots of people. And as they're going, they begin to celebrate. They begin shouting in jubilation, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven, glory to God in the highest. All of these shouts of proclamation are coming from within this crowd of people. And we hear also that they're spreading their cloaks on the road in front of him. And in other gospels, we hear that they're waving palm branches around. That's where we get the name Palm Sunday. All of these things are happening. And this is a very important, very on-the-nose situation that's going on. 
Normally, when this type of thing happened, when an individual was heralded like this, it's because they are an important person. They're either a, ki a visiting king or a visiting dignitary, or sometimes it would be some military leader who is returning in triumph after, after a conquest of sorts. And everyone around would have recognized this type of greeting for that very thing. But at the same time, there's also this weird tension because Jesus is not riding on some big fancy war horse or he's not traveling in, in some fancy chariot. He's riding on a colt. So again, we have this tension between what seems to be going on and the reality, the expectation and the reality that's going on. But while all of this is happening, while Jesus is making his way down the road, and we hear that, that, that his disciples and the people with him are cheering and shouting and making all this celebratory jubilation, we also hear that there's some individuals who aren't quite so happy about it. And we hear that some of the Pharisees from the crowd tried to warn him, teacher, tell them to be quiet. So we have celebration, but we also have rebuke happening. Now, I've often wondered what lies underneath what the Pharisees say here? Now, we've talked about the Pharisees before. They're kind of some of the elites from within the religious culture, not the only ones, but they were important. And so what are they doing? Are they opposing Jesus as we've often heard them doing? Are they just trying to keep his, his profile low so that everybody else in the crowd doesn't listen? Is that the case? Maybe. But also at the same time, in a culture in which their faith is so closely tied with their political reality, it is also possible that they are simply trying to look out for the well-being of the city and of everyone because if someone is coming in and they're shouting, blessed is the king who is coming, well, that is kind of a uh, proclamation of a new king. And the Roman authorities, if they catch wind of it, might not really like that. So maybe, just maybe, what is going on with the Pharisees, they're trying to keep things hushed up so that like the religious or the, the, the political situation, that the Roman authority and the Roman might and the Roman empire doesn't come down upon them and destroy them. That's also a possibility. So there's the tension that lies underneath. What's their motivation? But regardless of their motivation, and regardless of the motivation of the people on the opposite end, we have this spectrum, don't we? We have, on one end, joyous celebratory proclamation. And on the other end, we have rebuke that seems to be really, really, really negative. And you can imagine that from among the rest of the crowd, everyone else who was lying in that road who was bearing witness to this, they probably fell at some point along that spectrum. Some of them were probably like, what's going on? Maybe these people should be quiet. And some of them were like, well, this must be a big deal. And some of them were probably like, well, we don't know what's going on. Tension. All of this tension that lies within this moment of celebration. Now, what's interesting about this What's interesting about the whole idea of tension is that we perhaps feel it as well. Now, here within my tradition, typically Palm Sunday is one that feels like celebration. It's kicking off Holy Week. It's kicking off the events to come. And we know that Easter, which is like our Super Bowl, is right around the corner. And it is that sense of celebration. But at the same time, we also know the story. We also know what's going to happen. We know the, the, the bad things that Jesus will endure in the days to come. And so perhaps we feel that tension even in the midst of this celebration. I'm pretty sure Jesus was aware of that tension as well as he sat in the midst of this. 
and he recognizes the importance of the celebration. He makes that strange comment at the end that, hey, if, if they're silent, the rocks will cry out. And I don't know what that means, but he's aware of it because he knows what's coming. And what's interesting is his disciples, his followers, the ones who are cheering, they should have been aware of it as well. Because Jesus has told them, not once, not twice, but three times, he has told them what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He told them that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be tortured, he's going to be killed, but that ultimately he will rise again. Now, I don't know if the disciples, the ones who are cheering for him, I don't know if they're just ignoring that. I don't know if they've forgotten about that or if they're just blissfully unaware of it because of the joy of the moment. But regardless that tension is still there. And we also see a tension in the separation between the ones who are cheering and the ones who are rebuking. We find this in the original language. If we were going back to that, here I am being a Greek nerd again, but we hear about the crowds, that the multitude or the crowd that was with him were cheering. But then we also hear about Pharisees from the crowd or from the multitude. And what's interesting is those two words, multitude or crowd, here in the English language to us are kind of synonyms. They basically mean the same thing. But in the original language, we have two different words. We hear, first of all, a word called plethos. And plethos literally means crowd. So that one's kind of on the nose. And that's the people who are cheering for him. The crowd of his disciples, and this is about 120 people. It's not just the 12 disciples, but it's about 120 people. So there's this small-ish group, a fair number of people, but in the grand scheme, a pretty small group. And then we hear from the crowd, the Pharisees, or from the oklos, which is the other Greek word. Now, this word means like the faceless mob, the, the unknowns. And this would have included all of those people that Jesus was unfamiliar with and didn't necessarily even know who he was, who were probably just lining the roads wondering what is going on. We see that separation, and that separation brings in the thought. Now, I know I've been talking about tension a lot, of celebration and also detrimental things that are happening. And this is a reality that in my Lutheran tradition, and perhaps in whatever tradition you're familiar with as well, that I think we are hyper aware of. One of the things that we talk about a lot here in the Lutheran tradition is how we are simultaneously saints and sinners in the eyes of God. Through whatever it is that Christ has done, we are considered saints. We are considered claimed by God and good in the eyes of God. And yet we are also broken, flawed people. And we feel that tension. We also look to the tension of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus says has come near, is both now and not yet. That the promises are real now, even if they have not come to fulfillment yet. And we live in that tension. We also live in the tension of knowing that this world that we are a part of, that God has called good, is not perfect. And there is very wonderful stuff in it, and there is also very hard, detrimental things in it. All of these ideas of tension, I think, are a part of the reality of the experience that we all share. And what's interesting about that is this is the experience that God is having in the God who is also man known as Jesus. Jesus, I can't help but think, is aware of all of this. And no matter what it is that God was ultimately accomplishing through Jesus' death and his resurrection, which is coming right up for us, Jesus was hyper aware of it in this moment. 
But whatever it was that was being accomplished, I also believe that Jesus recognizes the need to celebrate. He does not rebuke his disciples who are cheering and chanting, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And in fact, he says, if they're silent, the very rocks will cry out. And folks, I don't know what a rock proclaiming is going to look like. Maybe he's not being literal. Maybe he's simply saying that creation recognizes the importance of this moment. And yet Jesus also recognizes the presence of the death with the life, the presence of the difficult with the celebration. And I think that very thing lies right in the midst of, of what we call today Palm Sunday. Now, I mentioned I got a palm behind me. Normally, this palm sits in my office, kind of on the opposite end of the church here. And as you look, you can probably look in this palm and you can see that there's some pretty nice green growth. You can see that there's some brown, dead, no longer growing, and there's some that's kind of a mix of the two. And if you're familiar with palms, you know that's how they grow. Palms are interesting plants. They grow from the top up with new leaves always sprouting out. Now, yes, there's different styles of palms and some of the leaves look a little different, but they all kind of grow in the same pattern. And gradually the leaves that are a little bit older down below, they begin to dry up and eventually die and eventually they will fall off. And once that particular plant gets big enough, we begin to see a stem or even if it's larger, we'll see what we'll call a trunk of the tree. And if you've ever seen one, you know they have those very distinctive little shapes that are all around them. And what those shapes are, are the base of where there was a leaf at one point connected and growing. But as the entire plant continues to grow, that new growth is coming up. The old growth dies off and gradually falls away and leaves its mark behind. And just like this palm has the mix of the new growth along with the old dead growth, that same tension, that same presence of death and life is all over our story for today, and it's all over this reality and this life that we are a part of. So what do we do with that? What are we to take away from that in this time when Jesus says we must celebrate? Well, perhaps it's the promise that has been made through Jesus through whatever it is that he is accomplishing, that God has claimed each one of us. And not only has God called this good, this this world good, God has also called us good and has claimed every single one of us, drawing us near to him through the death and the resurrection of Jesus to make sure that we find the joy in this life and we have been promised to be included in the life. May we hold on to that as we move forward from this Palm Sunday and this day of celebration into some very dark, some very painful, some very brutal things as we remember the death of Jesus and then ultimately arrive at the celebration of new life through the resurrection.